everybody. Welcome back to Bigger Than My Podcast. We talk about some guy and his songs. And that yeah. some guy is John Jonathan. Don't Clayton. call me Jonathan Clayton Mayer. Yeah. Clayton. Uh, Clay, right? What a middle. John Clay. His name is John Clay. <laughs> you, you think anybody calls him Clay just right. for funsies? Right. I hope so. He's like, don't ever. He, what if that's the trigger? He turns around. Don't ever call me that. That's yeah. That's what started the the Rolling Stone writer. Just hey Clay, he just went rogue <laughs> on exactly. everybody he knew. <laughs> uh, I have I unfortunately am or fortunately depends on how everybody feels about it. Am gifted with two middle uh, not two middle names. Then then that's no middle names. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm oh. gifted with a both a first and a middle name that can be shortened. So oh. I'm Jeffrey Michael Whitman. And, you know, it's Jeff and Mike, and that's just, doesn't flow at all. No. And you're, no. and I'm joined by Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Of, of the Mayor Cast, the yep. world famous Mayor Cast. I think you're world yeah. famous, right? I, I might be famous in yeah. some I, circles. Some people have heard it. Right, for I think sure. like six. And do you, uh, I guess you're not Kyle, Kyle, you can't really shorten to like Kyle no. or something like that. No, I have some people at work who keep emailing me and calling me Kylie. I don't think they realize I'm a guy, um, <laughs> which is, I've been working with them for four months, and, you know, I guess that's remote communication mm-hmm. sometimes. There's somebody at my job whose name is uh, Jacob, and somebody kept calling him repeatedly Josh. <laughs> not the same at all. And this my- is somebody that he would face-to-face interact with, and it was like a few weeks later he was like, you know my name's Jacob, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I would have corrected a, them right away. <laughs> I have a hard policy. If someone doesn't get my name right, I do not correct them ever. <laughs> I just let it's it. Too much I let it fly. I let it fly right. until they're around someone who will correct it for me. Right, and then they feel dumb because they've been calling me said name for. Then it, then it turns into a how, thing. They feel dumb, and then they're then they might go, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" And you're like, "Eh." For this like, moment right yeah, now. Yeah. The absolute guilt you feel right now is why I didn't tell you. <laughs> I like whenever I'm on the phone, because my job mainly is just talking to people on the phone. And I know we're getting yeah. way off topic from Mayor, and I apologize to all of our listeners. We'll get to it, I promise. Yeah. On the phone, I say, my name is Jeff. And they go, okay, is it Jeff or Jess? And I'm like, oh my God. I just go, sure. <laughs> Pick one. Who cares? I- I don't know how it is that I pronounce the letter V mm-hmm. as in vendetta. Right. Um, but I have multiple like in-store accounts where it's Seabertson, mm-hmm. where they put a B instead of a V, and it drives me nuts. But anyhow, that's aside from the point. It is. And today, you know what? It's kind of a new formula or format, whatever you want to call it, for the, the Bigger Than My podcast, uh, Bigger Than Our Mayor cast, or whatever you want to call this episode. Yeah, uh, the spinoff or this, this is like Law and Order SVU and the Ice T one uniting. It's like Joey. It's like no, no. <laughs> that, that that's a spinoff. This is like a a crossover. <laughs> this is like the DC shows on CW that I don't like that everybody else does. Do they? <laughs> yeah, they do it all the time. Do it like once a year. Uh, so the, I wanted to change things up starting with this episode. I think the last episode I had with JD, we kind of had more of things to talk about because it had been a while and mm-hmm. new light had come out. And we're going to talk about that for sure. 
Oh, because uh, yeah. I'd like to get your point of view on that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I kind of just wanted to like do a full rewind and start like day one. How did you get into John Mayer? For me, yeah. um, it was it was kind of interesting. I. So I had the Eric Clapton 2005 Crossroads DVD. Yeah. And he plays City Love. Yeah. The City Love on that where he does that intro and he's got, uh, you know, J.J. Johnson on the drums and he's playing. I miss that guy. Yeah. Yeah. God, that was awesome. And he does that intro and it's just nuts. And I'm like, oh, my God, he can play. I picked up a guitar because of Kurt Cobain because I think that's just what everybody did. Right, and then we suddenly realized, oh, okay, that was cool. And then, um, you know, I got the Clapton stuff, and I started getting into Clapton and classic rock. And uh, mm-hmm. really, John Mayer was one of the guys who ushered me into the belief that modern music can be good. And now mm. I'm, now I'm probably one of the biggest advocates for modern pop music. Oh, there's a lot of curmudgeons like I used to be who are like, oh, it's not the Stones. They just don't make it like they used to. And <laughs> just shut up. It's still good. That's just ignorant as a uh, world famous. <laughs> Actually, he never said that. I don't think he ever said that. South Park said that on Michael Jackson's behalf as Michael Jackson. <laughs> so my bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting Matt. that it, you kind of went in a different direction where. Yeah. Man, and, you, you were there, listening to the older music that I was kind of already shutting out. I'm the inverse. I listened to pop music when I was way young and kind of grew up with that until I picked up a, a guitar for the first time. And that's when I started listening. Dave Matthews is where it started for me. And then John Mayer. And then I went in reverse and started listening to older music that inspired yeah. my favorite musicians. Yeah. I, I just had this pretentious belief that, mm-hmm. you know, musicians weren't the same. You know, you hear that crap all the time where yeah, it's just all like, the time. They're not. Modern musicians aren't good. And now I contend that if you're a pop star like Mayer or really any pop star for the most part, obviously there's exceptions. I think that you have to have a level of talent to sustain a career. And if you don't, you disappear real quick. For instance, Mayer, he's been coming to Minneapolis God, since 2007. And he's been selling out XL Energy Center, our hockey stadium and uh, Target Center, our you know, NBA stadium, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ziggy Azalea, she did that once, and now she's playing the local casino when she comes to town. I see the billboards. Right. So, you know. It's unfortunate for her, I guess. Uh, she had that one song where she was really, really fancy, and then she was suddenly not. Yeah, and now she's got mailbox money. <laughs> that happens sometimes. That happens yeah, mailbox. Sometimes. Residual income's awesome, I hear. Yeah, absolutely. But, so that's kind of how I got into it, and um, John kind of led the way, and I started listening to more and more modern music, and now I I dig for new music all the time. I think we're in a great time for music, and uh, I think it's cool that you know John puts out artists that he likes so much on his Instagram and things like that. I love that mentality. Um, yeah, I love that. And then, too. you know... After that, I went through that whole weird phase I think Mayer fans went through at the beginning where it was just like, no, no, you got to see it. He's actually really good. Check out yeah. this DVD. No, he's actually really good. <laughs> yeah, the, the, your body. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's the Any Given Thursday DVD that made the rounds on my uh, among my friends. Yep. And I, even Quincy, happens. like person that was on the show, mm-hmm. was like, oh, I've been meaning to give that back to you, by the way, or something. And it's like, holy crap, that's right. I forgot I lent it to you. 
so funny. I, I uh, well, like, I, uh, what was I going to say? I kept on, like, pulling up Lenny. Look at this. Look at this. Yeah. Check this out. That's sweet. You know, that was back before I knew Lenny was an SRV tune. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, did, yeah, oh, I didn't know that either. I just thought he was riffing. Mm-hmm. That's going to piss off some old people, definitely. <laughs> but we figured it out. Um, I, I so, only knew that because I was, at the time that that came out, this was, like, right after Room for Squares, or, or ish, right after I discovered Room for Squares, I should say, myself. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the forums were were still present back then. The John Mayer forums and stuff like that. Pre-Reddit, but, you know, My mm-hmm. Stupid Mouth still existed, which it still does now. And I do recall... I do declare. I recall... <laughs> <laughs> I, I do declare. <laughs> I'll say... I'll say uh, I, I, I definitely recall seeing people on there going, what was that thing before Man on the Side? Oh, that was Lenny's SRV song. And so it didn't take me long to figure out which one it was. But yeah, I didn't listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan at that point in time. I was still grasping what this singer-songwriter thing was that was happening right in those years, those early 2000s. Well, I also remember, you know, I, I started to, like, when I picked up Room for Squares and uh, heavier things, I know I actively tried to, like, find good examples of his playing. And really, his playing on records is so, up until, like, Continuum and, you know, recently, like, with some of the stuff on the search for everything his playing on the record is really tasteful and it doesn't come off as boisterous where it's just like he's wanking to impress people yeah not that he is on the newer stuff but a lot of the cool stuff he's doing like on no such thing he's Mm -hmm. doing some interesting stuff on the guitar but you can't tell a non-guitar player it's interesting because it just sounds like rhythm guitar to them yeah so i found myself on the uh Napster LimeWire circuit trying <laughs> right. to find sweet guitar stuff by John Mayer and I'd find some stupid uh bootleg of him playing like Little Wing or something. The Wind Cries Mary, I remember I had I love that. that. I love that version, yeah. Yeah. So I was doing that stuff and I'd be like, Hey, look at this, look at this and you know, I'd still have, you know, people at school like, nah, sample plan's way better. Here we are, <laughs> we're still talking about Mayer and nobody knows where those Canucks went. <laughs> simple plan yeah i had this one girl who that makes sense like, in your region of the state i mean like, they were probably they were you know had like the one hit song or whatever that came bled down into the south too but kind of makes sense up there <laughs> yeah, well it was like uh the whole like alt punk thing or yeah. like the pop punk thing hit hard up here yeah interesting real hard yeah and there- like we had Motion City Soundtrack. That's like the biggest band we had since Prince. Or, oh, wow. You know, that's we we don't got a lot going up here, going on up here. I believe Chris Rock put it right when he <laughs> said we have Prince and Kirby Puckett. That's it. <laughs> I, now they're both gone. So I was going to say there were definitely certain people I recall from like high school, specific people that you could even like uh, look at. And sure, you're judging a book by its cover, but whatever. You could look at them and be like, "Oh, I bet they're into like the that whatever that alt punk is that's going on, and like yeah, the yellow they, card type stuff." And and bowling, and bowling for soup was down. I think the Dallas band, and they were huge here. Oh God, uh, I uh, I was super into pop punk, but you know, Mayer kind of changed the way I listen to music. Mm-hmm. And uh, same, I started listening to that stuff, and uh, yeah, I, I I just kept listening to John, and I still do, and. 
the pop punk stuff has kind of faded for me, and I never thought it would. It kind of did for me too, but then like Paramore kept doing more stuff. Yeah, and they keep they changing their sound. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing kind of an '80s thing. Um, yeah, I dig it. I I love that whole vibe. I kind of love this renaissance of the '80s that we're seeing in music right now. Right, and yeah, I I think that's cool. Um, and that kind of so yeah, does a that does segue into pieces. New Light for sure, though, because New Light does have that vibe. Right. And I did, I gotta be honest, I didn't listen to your guys' episode before this because I what? have a tendency to hear, nope, I'm, I'm gonna justify. I have a tendency to hear your guys' opinions and I'm like, damn, that's a good thought. And then I have <laughs> troubles thinking of my own. I know what you mean. That's me with, with film. I mean, I, I think I've made it clear on this podcast before that I'm, I'm a cinephile. I'm pretty obsessed with film. That yeah. I listen to many podcasts about it to where I will hear a point of view on a film and I'll be like, that's now my point of view. You know, like, yeah. I'll pretend it was my original thought or not pretend, but kind of forget that it wasn't an original thought. And, and it's just uh, it's just funny. It's just funny how that works. It, well, yeah, it's they just plant the thought and the yeah. idea. And when you think that it's logical and it makes sense to you, you just hang on to it. Yeah, and, and they uh, accept you. They basically yep. accepted you. <laughs> Exactly. So I didn't listen to that episode yet, but I really do love New Light. Oh, awesome. I love it. I I think it's great. I love the lyrics. The first listen, I was kind of like, okay, I'm waiting for the hook. I'm waiting for the hook. You know, because mm-hmm. his his choruses lately, unlike the singles like this, have been really passive to me. Same. I agree. They're just not. Um, even like Love on the Weekend, like it's a good hook, but it's not. It's not like they feel more weird. like extensions of the verse and the pre-chorus. It's just like all one thing that they right. just keep going, and then he does the next one big thing. You know, like it's right. just and I one think, thing that can, keeps going and going and going. Right, and I think uh, you know when he does that, I've been noticing. I don't always like the song right away, and I did like New Light because I think I'm starting to uh-huh. get a new light on how right. these things are progressing and you know i didn't like uh love on the weekend at first and now i love that song i can't get enough of it and uh you know you just hear the song and you listen to it more and more and more and you just like it more and more and i just expect that's gonna happen now yeah even when the hook isn't like obvious yeah and i think it is over time though like i remember by the fourth listen i was like oh this song's in my head now it's uh but all of it was in my head it wasn't like you gonna see me a new it's it's not i wasn't singing the entire chorus or whatever um even now i haven't listened to the song in like a week and i'm like wait what's that melody again for the chorus because the rest yep. of it is what i remember i remember the uh what do i do with all this i remember that right all the time uh, and the verses the verses were just a really cleverly coordinated sequences of notes and right and for me for me this song when you're listening to it the guitar that kicks in later, I think you said on one of your posts on Facebook, you're yeah. like, the guitar kicks in right at three, and that's when it really gets going, or yeah. like at two minutes. And when I listened, I hit that point, and I was like, God, that is amazing. And I love that guitar. It's so good. And he's got like that 80s like single note guitar thing going on. Yeah. And the thing about that guitar that I'm finding is the way the song is put together, for me at least, you have to listen to the build up to that part to really, really appreciate it. 
And I love that it makes me want to listen to the whole song. You can't just skip to the solo and be like, I'm happy. You have to yeah, hear the no. whole thing. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. You can't just be like, come, no, no, no. Come listen to this John Mayer song. Just trust me. And then just show them that part. They won't get the context. Nope. Things are coming to a head the entire song, really. And that's when he bursts at, through the seams, through his guitar. With that, with that, I call it good Maroon 5 funk. Like early <laughs> Maroon 5 funk. That's what it reminds me of. Songs about Jane. <laughs> just that, that one album. part <laughs> that album Wales dude but, that album's amazing and I, I remember going to see uh, this was around Heavier Things tour so I don't he think opened, you had heard they opened yet. for him right but uh, yeah they opened for him uh, when I saw him here in the Dallas area and uh, they were wearing was that a Coors <laughs> uh, it's a Diet Coke but we can pretend it's a Coors I'm not Diet trying Coors. to your podcast an advertisement <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do, I do remember beer of the mayor cast. <laughs> the officially sponsored, not official sponsor of the mayor cast. Yeah, it's officially unofficially sponsoring us. It's they're not. <laughs> they're, they're not, not at all. They're not. They have no. I think we gave a shout out in the last episode to Free Play Arcade, which is local to us. Oh and, and they just you pay like one fee and you can play all the arcade games you want and drink alcohol while doing it. Oh yeah, that's and a we huge were like, and we were like, oh yeah, that's not a sponsor of the show, but we would really, really like it to be. Please listen to this and ask, ask for, ask for us to ask for us to mention you, please, so we can get yeah. perks too. Anyway, we'll plug up. we can plug up down in case you're ever in Minnesota for some ungodly reason. That way, <laughs> that way we got your bases covered. <laughs> I like that you're very aware of Minnesota's perception or whatever the perception of Minnesota and stuff. I don't know. Uh, Ungodly reason. Why would you be up there? <laughs> uh, it's it's a thing that you can't... Living in Minnesota, you can't... People don't get it. People mm-hmm. who live here never want to leave. Right. And the people who visit are like, okay, there's a big mall. <laughs> you can't just... <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a really big mall. Yeah. They have the stuff we have, but times four. You know, that's right. it. So people just don't get it. We're all super self-aware. But then you see athletes who play here their whole career and they never leave. And, yeah. you know, people end up moving here. And it's just a thing, man. I don't I don't get it, but I love it. That's interesting. Interesting. Uh, I yeah. was going to say about Maroon 5, they opened for John. And I remember they were super young. They were still promoting songs about Jane. And mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody else that went and saw the the wood the show at the Woodlands, which is kind of outside of like Houston, closer to Houston than Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I remember somebody that went to that show, and they're like, "Oh man, that that lead singer guy with the sunglasses. I didn't like that guy at all. He was just so sure of himself." And I'm like, "He's he's just an opener. Like it's he was just trying to do his thing, like make a memorable set for because the opener set supposed supposed to just flow." You know, without yeah. breaks, much like we saw uh, Laney do, much like we saw uh, the the game with the name, the game, or whatever the hell. The them. night game? The oh, night game. Those guys rock. <laughs> whatever you say, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I know you do. <laughs> the name of the game is night game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. They did uh, the same bit every night. I saw them like three times. It's, oh, that's crazy. It's the same bit. But they do they do have that opener set where it's like you don't you just don't take a break to stop and and if you're mm-hmm. if you are talking you better be talking during an instrumental break you right. know you got to keep that thing flowing and I respected Maroon Five set and I love their album even more 
uh, mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, yeah, he totally he totally toured heavier things, oh. and I forget what song we were talking. I forget what led to us talking about that. Mm-hmm. But any, anyway, I think it sounds like you picked up a little bit later the the John Mayer plays Crossroads DVD. Yeah, yeah, it was '05, I think, yeah. roughly. I remember that but, he was wearing two pop collars. Yeah, yeah that was pretty douchey, <laughs> but still stands as douchey. But sure. it was awesome. I mean, we'll have to explain the pop collars for the rest of our lives, but so does oh, he. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, he was hanging with. That's what he was doing. Like that crappy, bittersweet song with Kanye that some people seem to like. I don't know if I've met someone who does, but I Kanye was all about sing the, the chorus to you. Numbers. Like I, I remember the chorus, but I, maybe that was because I was so obsessed with Mayor at the time that I was just kind of like convincing myself it was like a good thing. But really, I was just wanting any new music from him at that point because Continuum hadn't come out yet, and he kept talking about it. You know? He took he took kind of a break in between those records too, didn't he? He did, he did, and he kept talking about the break too actively. He was talking about how, well, you know, they they always tell you you write you write your first album for your whole life, and then your second album for you know six months because the studio is pressuring you to follow it up, mm-hmm. and then the th- and then he said uh, you, you know they don't say anything about the third album they just don't you know you can take your time with it and that's kind of like the reasoning that he kept giving in interviews as to why we haven't heard it yet. Yeah, well, uh, it worked out. It did. <laughs> it he, did. I, that's the one I did a thing with that one. Yeah, that's the one I go back to still the most, even though I'm like, I don't think it's like the best one. Like, there's a lot of people that are like, Continuum is the best. Give me another Continuum. That's the one I want. And JD uh, and I touch on this in the last episode. And I, I don't think it's like the best thing ever. Like, I do listen to it the most. Yeah. I don't know. It's different. It's just different for me. I, maybe I was just in a different place when I first heard it, and I've just kept that impression with me. I don't maybe know, man. it's hard to explain. I, I find as I get older, I learn more and more what these songs mean, yeah. and they become more relevant to my life. Like for whatever reason, waiting on the world to change didn't really have the same impact for like you know a fourteen year old kid, fifteen year old right. kid, whatever age I was. Yeah, that it does now for you know like an uber liberal minnesotan you know right (laughs) it's just it does it doesn't have the same you know when you're 15 and you're waiting on the world to change it's just like oh yeah yeah definitely like i want gas to get cheaper because i'm broke as hell right that's all it is so as i get older these songs mean more and they're different so it's hard for me to pinpoint one but there's just a lot of stuff that i can't really pinpoint a favorite record of his it's um, yeah, it's tough, man. It really is tough to pick one out. I Born and Raised ends up being the one that every time I f- finish it from beginning to end, it's like I'm exhausted and drained because it's just I know it's so personal to him, but at the same time, there's so much in there to identify with uh, on a deeper like I don't know emotional no, it's, level. It's a it's an emotional like nuanced thing that he does, and what I what I really appreciate about his songwriting is it's very personal to him, but you, he's very autobiographical in the way he writes, but he writes it in a vague way where you can relate the songs to yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of what I love about him and what he changed about my thinking of music, because back in the pop punk days we referenced, I just wanted really straightforward, like gutty lyrics that were honest, you know, like, right. 
I I hate you, blah, 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 all the shit those guys said, sorry. Um, <laughs> and then John, it's just like, oh, he just said something very eloquent. Yeah. And I get the vibe, but that could really mean anything for anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what's amazing about pop music, and John does so well. Right. I was so. uh, I almost skipped over this bit. Uh, I hope you're I hope you're game to do it in your airiest, uh, worst mayor singing voice. I guess. Uh, how many shows did you end up going to last year? Seven. Seven. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I went to seven shows. Seven shows. Uh, did does that include Dead and Company? Yeah, that includes Dead and Company. Oh, I saw nice. them just once. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought you went to more for some reason for the Dead and Company. I guess you're not a true oh, fan. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I saw two, two. Oh, sorry, two, two. Uh, I saw two, and yeah. I, we've already touched on them on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm talking to the guy right now, you, who's like yeah. I think the person I know that's been to the most mayor shows, like yeah, the, like, in one given year for sure. Oh, definitely. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it, it was it was a great time and like really I learned this with uh Dead and Company a couple of years ago like even with a guy as good as John and maybe you experienced this in the two shows that you saw they were a ways away. Yeah. But a lot of these trips I was taking I was doing Kansas City and then Minnesota the next day. Right. Or I was doing the Gorge in Washington and Portland the next day. I went to I think he did two legs of the tour and I went to I think four on the second leg and two on the first leg and one dead and company show. And it's just Mm -hmm. so fascinating to watch the band lock in over time. If you love music and you love watching bands that don't just play, you know, according to what the record plays, it was so fun to watch because the first two shows, they're still locking in. Yeah, they're still fresh, right? And there's certain things where, like, you know, you hop on uh, some of the online groups, the closed groups, where people are like, you know, I really expected more from Steve Jordan or this and that, and like, just like, yeah. To be honest, I thought Steve would be better than he is right now. I remember seeing him in 2010, and Steve was great. But then, you know, the the shows progressed, and on the second leg, they were cooking. Oh yeah, you noticed that too. Yeah, yeah, they were cooking, and it was great. Yeah, that, um, that Dallas show was like inspiring as hell. Uh, just from a musical perspective, like I just got out of there ready to, ready to write, ready to write songs, ready to record again. I, I didn't end up doing it, of course, because I'm I'm who I am. Um, but <laughs> I, I noticed immediately, like you notice immediately, the energy is just different, and they feel freer. Yeah, um, I and think they, they're more sure of what their show is. I agreed and i don't know like so the show we saw in kansas city that show happened the day that the search for everything came out it did, yeah. and i think it was like their second or third show on the tour mm-hmm. it was in the top five like the first five shows it was very early you're right and uh i think there was a lot of pressure to see what this album would do yeah and i think that kind of maybe that puts more pressure on the show mm-hmm. um because you're looking at sales and this and that like you're looking at reading reviews. reviews. He's probably reading reviews. He has to be reading reviews. He read. I guarantee <laughs> you, he reads them like crazy. <laughs> right. But you know, and 
the second leg of the tour, it's just like, okay, it did what it did. Right. The rest of this is just playing with house money. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I have to say, out, out of the two openers by, that we touched on, uh, I ended up, I didn't get the night game, right? That's the name? Yeah. I already forgot. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't end up getting their album or whatever materials they had out. Lanny, I got their album. Their album's better than their live show, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've i listened to them on Spotify plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't crossed over for me into that point where I'm going to buy the record because I'm weird. I listen to CDs in my car. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I do like I having a physical to. thing. Yeah. I like having the physical thing and having a wave file being a super nerd. Oh, yeah. MP3, like, and no aux cable to like muddy up the signal. That's awesome to me. So Laney hasn't crossed over into that. And on Spotify, I've kind of hit this point where it's like, the more I listen to them, the more I don't like them. At first, I was really into it. Mm-hmm. And it just progressively, it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm just not really into it. Oh, bummer. I well, I'm not game, saying I still listen I to them. I just remember the the impression that that album left on me from beginning to end, and it, yeah. being more impressed with their sound on the record than their sound live, which sounds repetitive. But, yeah, their sound live was really repetitive and boring. My favorite opener though was the night game on the tours that I shows I saw. See, and I found them repetitive. Like I found them to oh. be like the police and mesh, oh, meshed with them. contemporary pop music, I guess. And I, I don't know, it just didn't click for me as much so i saw them first at the gorge Mm -hmm. and i i paid for like i think i got like row five which Mm -hmm. if you go to the gorge don't get row five sit somewhere (laughs) where you can actually see the scenery that's my only regret like i it was awesome but he uh iconic venue well i mean for i don't know yeah i remember listening to a lot of dave matthews band records like uh recordings of his live shows and the gorge was always like a, oh man he played the gorge and it was like always a good set i don't know oh he does that every year <laughs> yeah the thing he does like a few shows at the gorge every year mm-hmm. but anyhow i'm sitting fifth row and the dudes from the night game come out and i was just i was making fun of him hardcore i was like okay that guy looks like styles from uh teen wolf the michael j fox version yeah and the lead singer that guy loves patrick swayze and then they got into like song three, and I was like, "Okay, I freaking love these guys." <laughs> well, I'm, glad, show- I'm glad you like them. I mean, I, I'm not here to crap on them. Uh, you know, maybe I need to listen to their. Maybe yeah, maybe I need to hear their out their actual like stuff that they have on Spotify and stuff. Yeah, it's not for everyone. It's super eighties, and a lot of people hate the eighties. I love them, but uh, that show was cool. He mm-hmm. that was one of my favorite things. He uh, played. Uh, Three by five at the gorge just oh, to come by himself. You. Yeah, that was awesome. In Minneapolis, did you didn't go to Minneapolis? No, he no, did, yeah, we uh, went home. For yeah. Minneapolis, he did uh, right because you drove up from Texas. Mm-hmm. In Minneapolis, he did covered in rain acoustic, which was cool. I did read that, and it made me hate you because I knew you. were Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was super sweet. I saw him do uh, in Portland the coolest thing that he did in portland was like he did uh inner city kid blues oh that's awesome by marvin gay he yeah. did that as an interlude on waiting of the world to change maybe me wanna holla yeah maybe wanna holla there's a great recording of that during his uh heavier things tour yeah uh, the as is he's got one of those exactly with that DJ logic guy right that guy who showed up for one tour and never showed up again but DJ he's forever logic. immortalized in john mayer's live shows 
on <laughs> as is yeah <laughs> uh, yeah that was a that was a great tour but uh, not not uh, sorry not to derail from the search for everything tour but that was a great tour oh, as well no, though the fine. heavier things one like when he was going around i remember listening to the 83 version that they have on there which is incredible going through the the uh, the wind section and stuff like mm-hmm. the flute and the trombone and all that crap and i'm like man i miss this band like i miss this big band sound and when yeah. you compare it to what he had on search for everything it's like a few members less than that like the sound was just much bigger on heavier mm-hmm. things tour than search for everything and it's not a complaint it's just an observation because they both sound great mm-hmm. they're just different he div- and i think it's weird um so my first tour I saw was the 2007 tour. Oh yeah, and uh, it's weird to me now that he's developed this belief. I saw him say this on Instagram Live or something, but he's decided that you either need backup singers or a horn section. You can't have both. Weird, and that frustrates me. <laughs> I think you can easily have both. That's kind of weird. That's Get- that's a weird opinion for a musician. <laughs> <laughs> I've also, it's it's a weird opinion, yeah. and he has weird opinions like that. He I does. once saw him say something. I might be on the special features of uh, any given Thursday, but I once saw him say, you know, like I don't really agree with bending notes on an acoustic. I'd rather just slide up to the next note. And I've always thought that was weird too. Yeah, he doesn't live by it all the time, and maybe he's not in that mode anymore. But I always thought that was weird. That is weird because I that recording of man on the side that i listened to religiously in high school was mm-hmm. the one where it's got that intro that's like da, 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 and all that shit there's a lot of bending mm-hmm. in that solo like <laughs> i guess it's right. just more of like a, if i have a choice i don't want to bend it type thing right uh, right i don't know I, I remember hearing him say that and being like that's super weird <laughs> but you're like hey and now you do to your this thing, day, i will not <laughs> bend notes on an acoustic no <laughs> But clearly, it's like a hey, man, you do your thing. Uh, you, your music's working for me, so whatever. you do you, boo. Do you, boo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you picked up on Mayor after post heavier things pre continuum. You mm-hmm. were, I'm sure, by the point continuum came out, you were as ready for it as the rest of us were. Uh, yeah, that it started with like room for squares and earlier. And uh, I, it was one man. That was a crazy time when I first picked up Room for Squares because, like I said, I, I had just picked up a guitar, and mm-hmm. I was looking for anything challenging, any like anything to just that that's remotely different than like a G and a C chord that's yeah. out there because it's hard chords. to find. It was so hard to find at that point. <laughs> uh, so that's why I listen to Dave Matthews all the time. And then I think it was my brother who was like, "Hey, I found somebody who's kind of similar," and he found John mm-hmm. Mayer. And my brother never continued listening to John for some reason. It's, yeah, he always he's the one that came up with like the airy voice. Like he's the one who mocks him <laughs> with the airy voice thing, and then I turned it into like a thing for the show as paying homage to it. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, I just remember, like you said, with the no such thing stuff. He's playing rhythm. He wrote these songs acoustically in like a dorm room or something because that's the instrument that he had at the time was an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, you just know these things, like when you're a songwriter that just starts. Like if mm-hmm. if you guys go like back and uh, please purchase my album, my first album. But if you go back and listen to my album from like 2013 or whatever, uh, it's my one album. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of those songs, like pr- all of them, are written acoustically, and yeah. you can tell that they're performed that way because it's just like chords and occasionally there's like a, you know, kind of like that middle part and no such thing where it's like a 
uh, I don't. There's a little part in there that's like a solo, but it's not. I do that a lot. Oh, yeah. My first record. <laughs> yeah. So you get it, but you see the complicated stuff he's doing in, in no such thing. Yeah. Like in it's the rhythm crazy. guitar, and when I was seeing him play it, I was like, "What the hell? What chord is that? That's crazy." And it's a pop song. Yeah. How is and that a pop song? It's all jazz chords. <laughs> it doesn't come off as anything but a pop song. Yeah. But it's got so much going on. And that dude, he and he still carries that type of songwriting over to today where like you can hear the jazziness and the funk and whatever he's listening to like influence in his new songs new light uh Mm -hmm. for example but he writes it out in such a way where it's not like just it's not alienating so it's just him that likes it he knows how to tap into that thing that will make people want to listen to it and keep listening to it agreed brilliant songwriter yeah Yep, I agree. I definitely agree. Sorry, if you hear like a little monster right now, my dog, George G. Buckets, is trying to eat me. But, that's that's your dog's name? Is that for real? Yeah, George G. Buckets. Nice. My dog's yeah. name is Goku. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, I didn't even name him. Like they, I went to the. Oh, you bought it. You bought him in the. Yeah, oh, yeah. They There's were like. Goku. Yeah, it was like a temporary placeholder name that the shelter gave him, and I was like, I think it's Destiny. I have to keep him and na- like keep his name, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah even though I buckets. don't watch Dragon Ball Z anymore or whatever, I did when I was a kid, so it was just kind of like... Yep, I'm in. <laughs> it was kismet, more or less, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's funny, though. Well, our dogs both have crazy names. That's great. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's an homage to the local Texan Jimmy G. Buckets, Jimmy Butler. Okay, see, I thought there was a connection. Yep. yep yep uh the only uh other segment thing i had besides lyric and song of the episode which we'll get to is the mayor quote or tweet of the episode just depending on what i want to pick i guess mm-hmm. and i found this one which i actually i went out of my way to find the source for it too oh. uh this the quote is i am who i am because of dave matthews band do yeah. you remember the context for this one i don't know if i do he played 40 the number 41 song with dave matthews band oh yes yes i've and, seen that yeah video. yeah exactly and at the very beginning right before they start the song he goes i am who i am because of dave matthews band yes you're right yeah <laughs> and it's just kind of like kind of summarizes he's not saying that i'm sure dave inspired him somewhat on a musical level and the entire band for that matter but i think he's saying his success mm-hmm. that's what i think he means by that that could very well be the case yeah. um I, you know, because they kind of ushered in that kind of music and he, you know, for lack of a better explanation, he kind of gravy trained that at a really great time. Yeah. Um, and it worked out great. I've also heard the quote and I believe it's from, uh, there's a live at Montrox. I think that's how you say it. You might know better. Ma- oh, the, uh, the French Canadian festival thing. Yeah. And it's uh Stevie Ray Vaughan. There's mm-hmm. a DVD set where it's, the first time he went, and the second time. Yeah, and the John, first time he got booed? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, DVD's crazy, dude. I've seen that thing so many times. <laughs> right, right. And it's uh, it's got special features, and I believe John is on there, and I think he says basically, you know, I am John Mayer because I've failed so hard at being Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> you know? He's that's, like, that's I sound the way quote. I do because I am... I'm continually failing at sounding like Steve yeah. Ravon. Yeah, you're just trying to emulate your hero. And I swear, I'm not. I swear, I'm not trying to push this on people. But if you listen to my first record, that's 
that's the equi- that's like John Mayer for me. Like I I am what I am musically because I failed to be John Mayer. And you'll just hear me throughout the album and throughout the record trying to be John Mayer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like uh, just on a melodic level, not in a guitar. I don't solo very well on guitar, so not on that level. Um, but right. in terms of what I'm singing and how mm-hmm. I'm singing it and stuff like that. And I uh, think for you, because you seem to be more of a songwriter, mm-hmm. more so than like even like a player player, I think you're more of a, a lyrics guy in general from what I've heard. So there's probably an element that, that's, you know, you've just you can tell you spent time on the words yeah. of what you're saying. And I think that's I a care less, too much about it. Like it's, right, I think that's a less transparent thing to notice too, mm-hmm. because John's great, and yeah. you know you can tell when people put time into their lyrics. I've definitely written, I've wrote songs where you can tell I did not put time in the <laughs> lyrics. You know, that's what my early songs were, and a lot of the the songs that I ended up putting on my album were songs that like I wrote more recently up until recording because it's like this is how I feel now. Whereas if I took a song I wrote from high school and put it on the record, it would be like, girl, you look good in them jeans or whatever the hell I was singing about. Mm -hmm. It would just be so try hard and or just maybe not try hard enough. Like so just like way too much, uh, way too little effort put towards like poetry and the actual words. But yeah, John Mayer like totally ruined lyrics for me. He totally ruined like writing lyrics for me in in the best way possible because I... I'm constantly trying to one up myself with each verse or each chorus or not each yep. chorus, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying to one up yourself in the verse and have it build to this grand chorus that people just always remember. And, um, that's probably why I'm in a rut right now. Honestly, I'm blaming John Mayer for my rut right now. I, <laughs> you heard me. You know what? <laughs> I have, I don't know how closely you've been following like my Facebook posts, but mm-hmm. I'm giving him credit right now for what I'm doing with my current project. Oh, cool. So before we like detour, I know you got like a hard stop for your Deadpool viewing, but <laughs> yeah, as the time of this so, recording, I'm about to see Deadpool. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I watched his interview he did with I don't know what it was last week. It was on Facebook Live with some dude in a radio, some British. Oh, guy. yeah. yeah. When uh, New Light dropped, he recorded a, a, a an interview with the guy from uh, God. It was an Apple interview, right? Brought to you yeah. by Apple. Zane Lowe, I think his name was. I did, yes, I Zane did Lowe. Yeah, that dude is and it's on, it's on YouTube now, but mm-hmm. he was talking about how he's been making his music with an MPC Live X2. Yeah, so, I, didn't, I didn't even know what that was. I So I knew I went to recording production school. Uh-huh. Oh, good for me. And That's still rad, though. I mean, you did something. <laughs> Well, right. I have a sweet degree I can do nothing with. But I make pretty sweet demos at home from uh-huh. it. That's cool. Right. But anyhow, I uh, I went out immediately and bought an MPC Live. Oh, that's great, man. Because my intention, like listening to his music and just how he's doing stuff is like, you know what? Creatively, I'm just getting killed. I can't right. think of anything. So I was like, I'm just going to start with beats. Right. John's starting with beats, so now I'm starting with beats, and then I throw on a guitar, and I do this and that. And I'm really building around the heartbeat, because he's talking about how obsessed he was with the MPC. Right. And It just gave, you, just, an, it just gave you a new idea as a musician, yeah. It shed a new light, just right. even watching. It shed a new light. Man. 
man. Yeah, he's he's writing the puns himself now without even yeah. knowing it. I was just the man on the side, and then he shed a new light, and now... <laughs> now you well, see another kind of green all over the... All over. Another kind of green. Oh, man. But it's that was not a, that was a deeper cut. greener on the other side. Right. You don't hit on 19, man. No, uh, that's my favorite <laughs> lyric. I do. I love it, too. And I love when uh, people that were... I mean, even me, when I first heard the lyrics, because he played it acoustic before he introduced it to the trio. Yeah. And it was kind of like... An, a thing that people expected on Continuum, and when it wasn't there, everybody was kind of like, "What huh, the hell?" Weird. Uh, but when he played it with the trio, uh, and and everybody was getting exposed to that li- that lyric about uh, not hitting on nineteen, people were very confused. People were like, "Is he talking about the age of the woman?" Like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't He's know that everybody parts. got it was a blackjack thing, uh, yeah, which yeah. is just brilliant. Yeah. See, that oh. dude ruins words for me. That dude ruins writing words for me. <laughs> right. Well, like, do you just to call back to kind of how we were talking about how we discovered Mayer and we went through the whole, oh man, no, he's good, he's great, he's great. Do yeah. you remember Trust that, me. like, yeah. that oh shit moment when all of a sudden you're at the store and you're like, what's the up oh, John Mayer tree? And you put it in and it was just like, oh my god, everybody, <laughs> yes, everybody, he did it. <laughs> now I can tell them he's doing what the music he wants to do now, guys. And that. That was pre-continuum. Right. So like, so it was just like, guys, look at this. Look at this. And everybody was just like, shut up. Go away. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Were you talking about him again? Really? <laughs> right. We don't, we don't care about music. We're second and third in class. I was going to mention, uh, it's kind of funny how, how much we're just naturally bringing up that kind of parallels to what we're both experiencing as musicians. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that you're experimenting with new instruments, I'm actually doing that myself because I'm just trying to find inspiration anywhere I can get it. Um, and I'm also looking into wanting to score film, uh, which oh yeah, is gonna, it's, honestly, it sounds like it would be fucking awesome. <laughs> um, but so I've just been buying new instruments. Like every paycheck, I'm just like, what's an instrument that I could get that I have, yeah. I have either have not learned or been meaning to get and I don't have it? Um, mm-hmm. So I bought a uh, ukulele. I bought one of those. Uh, yep. It's not close to me, though. And uh, <laughs> I have a violin, too. That's the instrument I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play the violin. It's fucking hard. I believe it. Emphasis on that. It is fucking hard. Um, totally believe it. I watch these YouTube videos that people chronologically like did a diary of, like, here's me week one with a violin over the course of two years. And it took them a year to actually sound, like, good. You know what I mean? So... Yeah. It's gonna be a long. This is gonna be a long, arduous process. Uh, I also bought a piano, like a digital piano too, with a, with a professional looking stand, so it kind of sits like a piano. Nice. Um, so, so I mean, it's just about exploring musically, and I learned that from watching John do what he does. Yeah, uh, but well, even just watching him, like, um, what was it—the one song, one day bit, where it's just like, oh. Looky here, we have fifteen thousand pedals. Let's just find a tone, right? You know, are you that in itself? Wait, what video was that? Or was that a video? I think it's a YouTube video, and I think it's called One Song One Day. Yeah, that's where what he wrote he in repair. Yeah, in repair. Yeah, it, that organ, that organ is a guitar, like that right. organ at the beginning, and he did. He discovered that through, like you were saying, just effing with the pedals. I wouldn't even know where to start to create that sound. That's. Right. And, oh, all of them are crazy. <laughs> well, he's brought this up, too. He was just like, uh, so another fun quote from like that interview, he referred to the acoustic guitar as the song calculator. 
But I thought that was funny. But another thing, like, he's all for, like, oh, I picked up this guitar, and sometimes the guitar writes the song, like, Walt Grace, that uh, resonator he plays. He's just like, yeah, I just picked up the resonator, and I started playing mm-hmm. the guitar, and I was like, oh. Yeah, it, makes, it honestly makes sense. When you look up the chords for Walt Grace, it's like mm-hmm. D and C. It's just, like, generic chords or whatever, but it's the tone of the song, you know? Like, as soon as you pick up the yep. right instrument... I yeah I I totally understand that and now it again his point of views and perspectives without him knowing or or maybe he's I don't know he's certainly not doing it consciously because to inf- to influence other musicians because he's he just wants to write the song he's just trying to find the song that's his goal as a songwriter but man yep. he's certainly inspiring me to branch out in other avenues I think. I don't. I think you're right in the fact that he doesn't intend to be like, you know, someone that people look up to as a right. songwriter. I think that's happened totally just because of what he does. Right. I think he's more like he's just exploring, like the search for everything. It's a title, and this is a pun, but he really is trying to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. And uh, on many levels too, like not you know a yeah. personal level and a musical level. Yeah, and he can hand wash the shit out of some t-shirts, yeah. but <laughs> man's got his own laundry detergent brand. Whoa. It's crazy. Branding deal. Is it called Clarity? Uh, no, no, it's called Out West. Damn it. I have a bottle. <laughs> it's a good product. Oh, man. See, missed opportunity. That's Mr. Missed up. Your Your clothes are Wonderland. That's what it should ah. be called. <laughs> ah. They Come on, John. Good. Get with marketing. <laughs> Can we talk about something that he oh, contradicted man. that I think is really weird? Oh, sure. So he had one interview, and this is just me spouting off random shit I've read. He had one interview where he was talking about how he could pick out like what perfume a woman was wearing because he was so fascinated by it that he like took time to figure it out, right? That's... So, serial killery, but yeah, I, yeah, super yeah, I remember serial killer. Yeah. He's got a little bit of that vibe to him sometimes, <laughs> but he figured that out, right? Yeah. And there's been situations where, like, you know, he's being interviewed in a magazine. And the writer's like, "Yeah, he could tell what perfume I was wearing. It was crazy." But then, anyhow, he does the laundry detergent thing, and he's like, "I don't believe men should wear cologne. Hmm. They should only the only smell they should have." is the light smell of you didn't wash out all your detergent when you were hand-washing your clothes. And I was like, what What the fuck? That does not go with your perfume obsession. Yeah, way to, way to just say things to sound cool. I, I, I guess that wouldn't make you sound cool if you were like, hey, I know perfumes. Yeah, That'd be no. one of the weirdest sentences you could say, in a, right. especially in an interview setting. <laughs> hey, I, I just can know tell perfumes. what perfume you're wearing. Can I smell your hair? What? <laughs> Oh boy, oh man! I I love that he's a unique character. Um, he, he's got some weirdness to him. Yeah, and I think that's why we he has such a strong fan base, especially like the John Mayer knows best group and stuff like that. Like Mm-mm. that's that's on top of his music, of course. If you've seen him as a person in interviews and stuff, you're like, oh, this dude's a quirky dude. He's really like he's hyper intelligent, quick on his feet. Uh, mm-hmm. Effortlessly funny in like a very dry way. Yep, and I've uh, people just gravitate towards that when they learn more about him. I think. Yep, and I I I tell people all the time. I was just like, I'm a huge fan of his music, and he's my idol as a musician. But he's also my idol as a 
public speaker. Same. Um, I never hear him say, uh, I say, uh, all the time. I mean, I do, po- I do like three podcasts or whatever. I say, um, mm-hmm. all the time. And I, yeah, vocalized pauses. They, they kill. Yeah. And he's doesn't seem to ha- he seems to like already, his thought is already jumping to the question they ask. It seems like, or mm-hmm. he already has that answer in the bank and he's just ready to fire it away. Even if he's not, if, even if he's caught off guard by the question, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> it's crazy to me. <laughs> I, I think, like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it just sounds bad, but I think in a sociopathic way that some people just develop that I'm going into this situation, I know what I'm going to be asked, so I'm going to formulate ideas before I start the conversation. Right. Like, I bet you when he's in a relationship, he's the guy who just keeps taking from, like, this situation and that situation, and then when the fight happens, he just unloads it yeah. all. Yeah, even if it kind of, I mean, for him, it probably, when it unloads, it's probably, this is just a lot of speculative stuff about his personal life, I guess, but it yeah. probably comes out in a more <laughs> fluid way than it would for me, where, like, I am I would be arguing with somebody about something uh, in, in this hypothetical relationship that doesn't exist because I don't do that anymore with my life. Right. Right. <laughs> where it would, like, the we would argue about something like, uh, hey, did you do the dishes? No, I didn't. Well... You don't clean up the dog shit, and they'd be like, "Where'd that come from?" Like, <laughs> it wouldn't just come out like it would just come out like totally unnaturally. Whereas I feel like with John, it would come out like kind of poetically. It would be like circular. It would make sense, you know? Right, right. right. <laughs> Maybe yeah, so. if he heard this, he'd be like, "Y'all are overestimating me." <laughs> I guarantee you, and that's probably just a degree of him being smarter than us. So, right. <laughs> oh man, and he doesn't know it, or he does. I don't know. I think love he does. to get him on the show. Let's campaign. Yeah, let's get him on the show and get a Coors sponsorship. I, yes, and free All play. Right. I just assume if I keep saying free play, it'll just be like a thing that comes into existence. Like, hey, suddenly free they're a sponsor. Or up down. Or up down. Mm-hmm. In wherever you're from, Minnesota. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I left the cornfield a long time ago. Viking going, country. I'm going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For Scandinavian hell as hell, we love hot. Dish. I was rooting for him in the in the oh. playoffs, man, big time. That oh, was the daggers. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's, I'm glad that Tom Brady had his you know humbling humble pie. Oh, I I would give anything to have those Philly fans destroyed. <laughs> I I don't mean that in like a actual way. Yeah, but I mean it hypothetically. They're right. awful people. Yeah, there's yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't say New England fans are better, <laughs> but yeah. I know what you're talking about with the Philly fans and how they cheered. Uh, they they cheer when their rival get a play, uh, teams get injuries and shit. Yeah, they're uh, horrible. Yeah. They're just yeah, they're awful. They're horrible. If you're Sorry. a Philly fan and you're listening to this, you're horrible. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know you, <laughs> Quincy, who's been on the show before twice. He is absolutely a Philly fan, and I'm sure that he shat himself oh. with joy when they won the Super Bowl with a backup oh, quarterback. Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was a great game. And the, sh- the shitty part is I really like the quality of people they have on their team. Me too. I, I like Carson Wentz. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. I like North Nick Dakota's like, yeah. yeah, Nick Foles, it's hard to dislike him. You know, Carson Wentz, it's like obligation if you're from Minnesota and someone from North Dakota shows up, they're your guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's the Oda part in the state name. No, actually, yeah. I don't know. 
Probably. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I I guess we should uh, you know turn the corners and you know wrap it up a little bit because Deadpool two awaits and I don't want to yes, make sir. Thanos slash not Thanos in this movie mad. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Josh Brolin, man, he's the dude is everywhere this year. Yeah. He's he so okay. Last month he had probably it could end up being the highest grossing movie of the year, even considering Black Panther. Last month, Josh Brolin had Infinity War, right? And then this mm-hmm. month, he has Deadpool 2, which is probably going to break some records, too. Yeah. And then he has... I don't think it's going to break records. Maybe a critical buzz. I don't know. But Sicario 2 is next month or the month after that. Mm-hmm. So this dude never stops never stopping. It's crazy. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> awful. It does. It sounds exhausting. Just sit down, man. Enjoy a bag of Just hot wings. He has got to be... Talk about the hardest working dude in Hollywood right now because he's doing he's on a perpetual press tour cycle. Ugh. Oh man, now I gotta go do press for Sicario, you know, like yeah. shit. <laughs> and then I gotta go do a movie, and then I gotta go do press again. That's yeah. exhausting. He's probably done the he you said he did Black Panther. Uh no, I'm I was saying that Infinity War might beat Black Panther's oh. record. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, you know, gotcha. For this year. Highest highest gotcha. grossing, I mean. Uh, sorry for getting sidetracked on movie shit, but uh, okay. So, lyric of the episode and song of the episode uh, is is a staple of this show. Just trust me. I know we're only like what sixteen, seventeen episodes in, but just trust me, it's a staple. Um, yes. Do you have a lyric of the episode in mind? You might have been thinking of. So, lyric of the episode, um, or lyric of the moment, I guess of of the, that res- speaks to you the most, I guess. I don't know if it speaks to me, but I love it. Um, I'm horrible with remembering actual lyrics, so you'll probably have to help me out. But I'm thinking of the bit where he's just like, then I'll leave when it rains. The I'll Oh, sneak yeah. In her. God, what is it? I Trust Myself, it yeah. It's the lyric from Trust Myself about a, I'll beg my way into your garden, and then I'll break my they way don't... out when it rains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's just like, it speaks to, uh, mm-hmm. you know... To me, at least, again, he, you can relate his lyrics how you like. But that, to me, when I hear it, it speaks to my anxiety and my inability to commit to people. Right. Not my friends, but like in relationships, it's just like, okay, yes, I like you. <laughs> cool. You know what? I'm really nervous about this. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Like, Backing out slowly. Right. I, no, yeah, that's beep, a familiar beep, feeling for me. Um, I And it's not... I don't think it used to be like a fear of rejection, but now the way I interact with people, I'm caring a little less about that when it comes to relationships. And it's more about having to put in the effort. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, just so I, lazy. That's me personally. May not be the same for you, but like. Eh. <laughs> so for me, it's just like I, I, I tell myself I'm just not settling, mm-hmm. um, you know. It's so they have to fit in with my lifestyle. I have to fit in with theirs. But I think what I find happens is I don't know. I just I freeze up and I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm 28. I'm still single. This didn't work out the last how many times. Right. I have a really bad track record. You know, it's all failure until you like get married. Right. And then you're like, and then when you're getting married, you're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. You get married. It's the okay. It happened. One out of ten. One out of ten. That's even shitty in baseball. <laughs> it is. Oh man. Yeah, I'm 31, and I I'm not. 
I, I wish I could. I mean, I know we're talking about like a uh, this show revolves around a singer songwriter who has a lot of romantic lyrics and stuff like that. Yeah, it makes a girl swoon and whatnot, and the guys yeah. cry if you have hearts. I guess uh, I don't know. Yeah. Not here. Yeah, <laughs> like, like but me on a personal level, I'm like, yeah, I can identify with some of that. I've had relationships before, but now I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, yeah. I hear the lyrics for New Light, and I'm like, <laughs> at one point in my life, yeah, I could see myself arguing the case for a new light with that, that entire song's idea with a girl that I was interested at one point And now I'm like, no, it's too much effort. I'd have he to finally go up wrote, and say hi. And ugh. he finally <laughs> wrote one for Ducky, all the friend zone men of the yeah. world. <laughs> friend We've zone been men waiting. Of America F Z USA. <laughs> yeah. We used to listen to assassin. We'd be like, this guy's awesome. He just does what he wants. <laughs> now it's 2018. And it's like new life. <laughs> now it's 20. 20- they're like, what's happening to the world? Oh, John Mayer's assassin. in the friend zone, and he can't get out. <laughs> he just, he just does what he wants. Assassin. Oh assassin. man! Even he says he doesn't. Happens, me too happens, and it's just like, oh god. Yeah, that even song is horrible. When he was drop, <laughs> yeah, when he was dropping the search for everything, and he did a Q and A on Facebook, and he was like, "Yeah, assassin isn't a song I'll ever play again. It's a little too predatory." Yeah. And I'm like, yep. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a musically it's a really really great song. Like I think I know. there's a lot going on in there. That's where he plays a kalimba which is another instrument I have. It's a very very small kind of like tribal drum drum thing where it's just metal rods that stick out and you just pluck it. And that's where the that's where that comes from. It's also where the Rugrats theme came from. Yes. Well actually I thought that was like an old like play piano. I think it was from one of those. You can definitely play it on one of those. Yeah. But it's, I digress. It is featured in the score, the film music documentary. It's on Hulu because they, they <laughs> interview a bunch of famous composers. And Mark Mothersbaugh is a guy who wrote that, the guy from uh, Devo. Okay. And he showed, like, the piano or whatever. And it was, like, a toy, like, shitty piano. <laughs> it's like oh, this is what I wrote Rugrats on. And I'm like, oh my god! Oh god! The guy from Devo who did Whip It wrote Rugrats. That's crazy. <clears throat> There's a lot of that in what music. A, what a life! I know, right? That dude. And then he went to do Thor Ragnarok. That was like his last movie that he did. Oh, that's crazy. Well, damn. Dude's a a, hit, a smash hit in the film music community. I uh, guess. And oh, I gotta bring this. This is music related. Just trust me. He mm-hmm. has this thing. This instrument called the orchestrion, or uh-huh. orchestrion, and it's basically like a Pee Wee Herman instrument where, like, you have there's a fireplace at the bottom and it's spinning wheels and stuff, and it's like this whole what do you call those devices that Pee Wee Herman used? Uh, I can't speak to Pee Wee Herman, oh. his instrument, <laughs> or his devices. Um, where it would be like a thing where <laughs> you, you, you would like it, one thing spinning would lead to another thing happening, which would lead to I another thing happening. And it's just. Is it like a Rube Goldberg? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like that, but like a, uh, an instrument. You know, it's like doing its own thing and making its own noises. And it's the most insane musical thing I've ever seen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to just act on its own and like to have its own mind. It's really weird. Yeah. Sorry for digressing. Rube Goldberg's whale. Yeah. <laughs> the OK the OK Go video with the Rube Goldberg is awesome. Oh man, I have to watch that. Those guys make good music videos. They do. Yeah. Uh sh- very showy, but uh, in a good way. Uh, yes. The 
mayor song of the episode do you have one in mind or is it also trust myself yeah let's let's go with that that feels right yeah yeah screw it it. that song is really incredible like i love the fate the faint effect which i don't i don't know effect names very well i'm not good with pedals and whatnot and gear I don't know the effect he uses, but it sounds like it's like a distortion. Um, I know he uses it on Rosie as well. Yeah. It's, like, um, it's, it's turned up a little bit in Rosie. So I can't remember. I think it's the pedal is called an adrenaline. Uh-huh. That's what he was using when he did that song. Um, he doesn't use that pedal to do it anymore. Now I believe he's using... Well, he might use it for that song live, but now he's using... Uh, a Qtron by Electro Harmonics, and he uses oh. that a lot with Dead and Co. Mm-hmm. and for Rosie. And they do, they're both just fil- envelope filters that kind of do an auto wah sound. I was going to say, it's like a wah sound, but and, and some light distortion, kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like the distortion is there if you plucked harder, you know? Yep. I, l- well, I love he, that vibe on the guitar and, and those yeah, two songs. He, he does a lot of cool stuff like that, and he, uh, I don't know how much you play uh, electric, but he I don't uses even own one. I think. <laughs> oh, I have like five of them, but I used to. He uh, he likes to use a Keeley Katana Clean Boost mm-hmm. at the beginning of his chain, and that just you know you can turn the volume knob up on the side of the pedal, and it naturally raises your uh, signal, so it breaks up your tube amp distortion naturally, mm. and then that goes into like a tube screamer or, you know, some kind of overdrive pedal. And, uh, he's got that. It's, it's cool. There's, he's doing a lot to distort that amp without pedals. And it's yeah. awesome. It is pretty rad. I'm glad I have somebody that can speak to the gear on this show. My gosh. Cause me and I mean, JD might know a lot of gear stuff too, but I don't think he studies mayor's gear. Yeah. Uh, I uh, have a problem. So that's really cool. No, no, no. I like that you know that stuff. And it just, for me, it just goes in one ear and out the other. I'm just like, I just want to play. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I just don't know anything about that stuff. Yeah. Um, Well, it goes with, you know, going to school for music production and stuff. That's true. That's true. You pay $40,000 for an associate's degree (laughs) so you can have an addiction to shit you can't afford the rest of your life. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) It's like you're talking me off the ledge because I'm considering going to school for a film studies i believe is what the degree would be called and i'm like now i'm like what do i do with that though there's many opportunities that are listed in careers but it's like yeah but really who's gonna hire you know at this point i don't know the best thing i can say i don't know what schools you're looking at but i went to a place called ipr in minneapolis Mm -hmm. and they do score for film but the best advice i can give to people seeking out that sort of career path is find people who are doing it already. Yeah. And just, just become a lurk, just figure out what they're doing. Right. Have them help you and watch a lot of YouTube videos. That's what the, that's where the best stories come from is people that are just like, you know, I I went out on a limb and I reached out to this guy and he hired me as an intern. And then here I am scoring Westworld or whatever, you know? And there's so many success stories where, you know, um, Mayor, for example. Oh, I went to Berkeley. Right. I quit Berkeley. Right. I got sick of it. I just decided yeah. to start writing music. Yeah, me you and know, uh, the- me and David Labriere just you know decided to just go on the road and play together or whatever. Yeah. It's like what? Dela. 
What? You know. <laughs> that happens with couldn't fathom doing that nowadays with the saturation on the market and stuff yeah but. yeah but so i i just tell people you know if you if you want to do it school will definitely help and i'll get you the skills faster yeah but if you really love it and you put the time in, you'll be able to do it at the same level with or without it yeah. so i yeah i do i do agree with that and i'm primarily doing it because there are so many things i don't know on a technical level and it's just frustrating the, me that I want to explain something about like a, in my case, a film score, and I can't use the word for it. Like it's just frustrating. Like I want to want to get in that field, but I can't tell you, you know, what a musical cue is or whatever. I can now, but I couldn't before. Yeah, I uh, I find it fascinating too. Like the underrated part about going to school is you're around like-minded people. And I guarantee you anyone who's gone to a school like that, they will tell you the same. Mm-hmm. You learn just as much from the people around you as you do from the teachers. Oh, yeah. that's People have brought that up to me, too. When I like, talk about going back to school, they're like, oh, my God, then you can meet people. And I'm like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about that part because, you know, me and people, we're not on the mm-hmm. same wavelength right now in my life. Yeah. So I yeah, just I mean, forgot about great that Great indoors. <laughs> exactly. Check your pulse. It's uh, proof that, uh, you know, you're not uh, whatever the rest of the words are. <laughs> <laughs> oh great that song is incre- in my opinion incredibly underrated I love it like I'm pretty sure he never plays it he played it like a few times at Eddie's Attic when it was like in the 90s late 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 90s early 2000 2001 on acoustic he played it mm-hmm. and then of course it scored a position in Room for Squares at near the end of the album but like damn man I wish he played that way more yeah yeah it's it's funny I've that album was sweet. Yeah. That love- song is sweet. Yeah. And it's, again, another song that's like, it's chords, just rhythm guitar. But he's mm-hmm. doing something totally, from our perspective as guitarists, we're, we're looking at it going, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have never seen that played that way before. You know, it's, it's pretty rad. Like, there's that final chord in that phrase in the verse. Um where it's like you're using all four of your fingers and they're like in totally different bent positions that they shouldn't be in. I, I don't yeah, even know yeah. what the name of that chord is. It's like a variation on a G, but it's uh, like that's a fucked actually up G. a precursor to arthritis. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am having problems with my hand. I don't know. Maybe maybe playing great indoors too much. Yeah, you gotta the problem. Go back to the church chords. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so that's uh, yeah. Trust myself is a great song though. It's uh, that's a song that. Um, I remember hearing when he was he was touring and practicing this song and kind of workshopping it around different cities, calling it different names. And mm-hmm. but he always, always sang the part "I don't trust myself with loving you." He always went back to that. Um, yeah. Hold on to whatever you find. Hold on to whatever will get you through. He loved that part, and he just yep. kept circling back to it. And man, I remember that being my among my favorites of the songs that were recorded from that tour before continuum ended up coming out and when this song landed on continuum i almost shot myself it was so good like it's with the horns being as faded as they are and yeah nothing's just in your face about this song it's just it feels good it just feels it it feels sexy there's a sexiness to it it's incredibly sexy and like there's just a pocket for you to exist in like the sonics i don't know if that makes sense to anyone but (laughs) like when you're listening to it in your Mini Cooper, if you're an uber-liberal Minnesotan like myself. <laughs> when you listen to it in your car, it's just like, 
there's space for you to sit there and listen. A lot of stuff, it's just blatantly loud, but it's yeah. so warm and, ugh. Oh, man, we can talk about, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure he's used the same engineer, right? His same sound engineer forever. I think so. Same I don't. He's mastered his stuff. I don't. I don't know, but heavier things is mastered like way too loud, way too loud. And then you Yo. listen to Continuum, and it's like not just waiting on the world to change because that's kind of a popular song, so it's going to come mm-hmm. through a little louder to your ears just naturally. Um, mm-hmm. But like, trust myself when you go to that song and then compare it to how bigger than my body starts. It's like it's like night and day in terms of bigger how than, the album's engineered and stuff. Bigger than my body slaps you in the face. It. <laughs> It does. I had to if turn it way down for this podcast. <laughs> if if you didn't, if you don't drive a Mini Cooper that automatically resets the volume, yeah. When you get out of the car for next time, you make sure you turn that bitch down before you go back in. If you're like on the last track and it's going right. to pop up as you sit down, that'll <laughs> wake you up. <laughs> I think we just went through this phase. Maybe it was a phase, or maybe Mayor just left it. He just like was like, I see what pop music is doing. I don't want to do that with my albums. And then he went back to normal volumes for the rest of his albums. But I do remember a phase where like everything was louder. Like everything was infinitely louder for on like every album uh, for in yep. the early like 2000s, mid 2000s. And I was so annoyed by it. Um, but yeah, Continuum struck that great balance. And Trust Myself is one of the better examples of, of mixing. And I think... Uh I think he's had more input ever since Continuum on the actual... I know he's always been super involved with the production and the engineering, but, you know, Continuum, it was him and Steve and, you know, whatever engineer they had, and then they did the house album with Battle Studies, Mm -hmm. and then he, you know, disappeared to Montana and did all that stuff, and I think he just got more involved and... Yeah, he... The Continuum, you're right, though, that was his first co-producer credit. Um, mm-hmm. The first album he did was with uh, somebody who had been working on those types of records for a long time, like the singer-songwriter records. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Room for Squares is... Yeah. And then the second album was somebody who did poppier records Yep. for singer-songwriters and pop vocalists, I should say. can't remember who yeah. it was now, but yeah, it's it wasn't until like after that that he was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this with Steve now. I'm going to do this with Steve and mm-hmm. and uh, then of course that you know i think they had a falling out over his uh his questionable interview and <laughs> and uh not to make light Don't but, call but me uh, clay. you know i'm just <laughs> i'll torpedo my career if you call me clay again <laughs> that's what happened somebody called him clay and he just let it fly he let that oof. what'd you say <laughs> Uh yeah, so then he went with Don was Don was not yep. there. He Don was not there anymore. Um, he, I know that's who produced or co-produced Born and Raised. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to see where he ended up. I don't know who he ended up going with for producing songs and like the new yeah. song "New Light" is no ID or whatever. I have no idea who that is. He did uh so no ID. He was I believe he produced the last uh, Jay Z album. So. Oh, 444? Yeah, I believe he produced that because wow. was, John was talking about that um, in that interview I referenced earlier. Damn. So he produced that and he's doing a bunch of bigger stuff like that. And like, based off of what I've heard, John really wants to, uh, he's like, I don't write hip hop and that's not really my thing, but 
you know, New Light has some of those sensibilities in a production right. way. I don't know if I buy into that, but I get what he's coming from. It's a more beat-based song. It's it's weird how he melds genres to fit what he does. And it's perpetually, like, just John, I yeah. guess. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. I guess we should end on that note, because i got to go to the theater and watch Deadpool make some jokes and be meta. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. I still don't know why you kids are going to that D- those DC movies. <laughs> I tried to troll you so hard that one day. On was Facebook. that? I didn't even consider it a troll. I was like, was that a troll? I don't even couldn't even tell. I so he posts something about Deadpool, and I was just like, you know, I've seen all the other DC stuff, and it's just never good. I don't know that I'm even going to go see this in theaters. And it was about Deadpool. Oh, I, I see what you're I saying. Was get a, I thought it's I was going to get a reaction. <laughs> I was just waiting. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. You can find uh, Bigger Than My Podcast on iTunes and Facebook. And I think we're, I'm going to continue putting videos on YouTube because I do at least at least one person continues to comment that they listen there, and I enjoy that. Uh, SoundCloud, no. Stitcher, I think. Tune in. Might, we might be there, too. Anyway, uh, that's where you can find us. I'm Jeff Witty, W-I-D-D-Y, on Twitter. And Kyle, are you places online? I uh yeah, Kyle Sievertson. You can find me on uh, Twitter under Kyle Sievertson. It'll say La Montaña because nice. I am the mountain. <laughs> I didn't know that's what that meant. Yeah, yeah, it's the mountain. That's blowing my mind right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Ritchie for life. Yeah, we forgot to lay down some sick kid rock facts before we left. Oh, well, maybe next time. That's fine. I think everyone will be okay. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. Uh, next <laughs> week, I, I have another Kyle on the show. We're, we're, this is uh, the continuation of Kyle Fest for the Bigger Than My Podcast uh, show or whatever. So uh, stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening and continuing to listen. And uh, Yeah, so... Uh, I'll be around.